Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Tonight we start a three-week series entitled Transformation of the Mind. And in so doing, I want us to look over these three weeks at lies that lead us away from God's narrative for our life. Scripture says much about this subject, and probably the most famous reference is found in Romans 12, verse 2, which says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to begin by taking a few moments to explain why the title, Transformation of the Mind and Lies That Lead Us, because at least to begin with, it's not going to be too obvious why this heading. Over the past weeks and months, I realized that I've had many conversations with people, both in our congregation and outside, and I've also read many articles in the press, online, and in Christian journals telling us and informing us that there is an increasing number of people are wrestling with things like worry, anxiety, and fear. Fear, anxiety, and worry. Some say that it is the unseen pandemic of this age. You will know that both inside and outside of the church, there are millions of people, both here in New Zealand and across the world, who are struggling with these things, anxiety, and fear and worry at some level. Now, I know that these three things are not the same and have different levels of severity, but all of us probably know that each of these can at some level be paralyzing or life-depleting or life-changing. We as individuals have probably found that our lives either expand or shrink, either move forward or retreat, in direct proportion to how we handle these issues in our life. In fact, we probably know that fear kills more dreams than fear ever will. And for those of us who are Christians, we know that the Bible says a whole lot of things about these matters. You may well know that the Bible says, do not fear or do not be afraid 366 times, one for each day of the year, and it even covers the leap year. We will also know that the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. And of course, Jesus said, do not worry about your life. However, because many are prone to these three things, and because many, if not most of us here today, are Bible-believing Christians, we often feel guilty or some level of shame because we experience such feelings, thoughts, and emotions. It just compounds our guilt and our misery. So it can be, and it has been, and I'm sure it will be in the future, a temptation for many pastors that teach on these things of anxiety, fear, and worry, just to stand on a pulpit like this and shout, stop it. Sadly, this has been the experience of many people, if not from the pulpit, but in one-to-one conversations at a counseling level. Stop being anxious, stop worrying, stop being fearful. But how many of us know that when we are told not to do something, it just makes something worse? 
it just becomes even more difficult. I find in those situations when there are those occasions that I am somewhat anxious or nervous or fearful, it doesn't help me when some well-meaning person, bless their soul, just come and say to me, relax, it's going to be all right. Actually, it makes things a little bit worse. So in planning through this series, I do not want to be one of those speakers who says, don't be anxious, don't be afraid, don't worry. And in fact, I want to say very little about those three things in total. For there are many in this room today, or listening on podcast when they get it, or who are far more qualified to speak about these things than I will ever be. I will, however, briefly return to this next week, and will simply say this today. There are some here this evening who find that it is far from simple or actually find it impossible to control your worry and your anxious thoughts and your fears. If that is the case for you, please go see your doctor because there may be a medical reason behind it. All these things probably are physical, emotional, and spiritual, and we don't heighten one above the other. But what I would like to do this evening is to talk about one of the many roots of our fears, anxieties, and worries. For there are lies, there are lies that lead us into fear, that lead us into anxiety, and lies that lead us into worry, and they come from a source, and that source is the enemy of our soul, and we must not be ignorant about how he works. So today, I wish to begin by looking at the subject of lies that we believe about God, that we need to transform and be conformed into the way that God would have us think. So tonight, we're going to look at three passages, John 10, John 8, and Genesis 3. We're going to start off in John 10, because it is here that we have this wonderful verse where Jesus describes for us the kind of life that we can aspire to, that we can aim for, to live without the things that I have already mentioned. It is called an abundant life or life to the full. John 10 is, John 10, 10 is one of the most well-known and quoted verses in the Bible. And depending on which version you read, it says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have it and have it to the full or abundantly. When we hear verses like this, we applaud and say, this is what I want. I want a full, abundant life. Maybe less of us know how to actually step into a life that is like this or fully experience what is promised to us here by Jesus. John 10 tells us that the way we step into this sort of life is to listen to his voice. And when we have heard to respond and then to do what he has asked us to do. First five verses of John 10 says this, very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gate op gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out 
all his own. He goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus is painting a picture. He's building an analogy, developing an analogy for us here. Where the sheep experience a full and abundant life. They are recognizing and they are responding to the right voice. They are responding to the shepherd. If you are a note taker, if you like lines that you can take away in your thinking, there is an important principle here. We as Christians, we whose lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ, we are designed to be shaped by a voice and specifically by God's voice. That is how we are shaped and formed. It is by listening to, hearing, and responding to the voice of God. So going back all the way to Genesis 1, it is the voice of God that brings life out of the chaos. It is the voice of God that creates. When he speaks, things happen and change. Throughout the whole of the Old Testament, God speaks and things change. God speaks and life is given fresh direction to those who listen to him. In the New Testament, we discover early on that Jesus, Jesus is massively impacted by his Father when he speaks over him at his baptism. And then we come to John 10, and John 10 teaches us that if we want to step into abundant life, then we need to listen to the right voices. We listen to what he says. John 10, 27 says, Tell us, uh, tells us we are designed, as I said, to be shaped by this voice. My sheep hear my voice, and then they follow me. We are shaped by this source. But herein we have a problem. Most of us have more than one voice going on in our head at any one time. We have lots of voices going on in our head at any one time. So as I am speaking to you right now, I have a number of voices speaking to me. I can hear them very, very clearly. Don't worry, I'm not going insane. Well, I don't think so. I have a voice that is telling me the next thing that I have to say to you. I have a voice in my head telling me that this is really going tough. Everybody's really, really quiet, and there's very, very little response. And then I'm reminded that I am in New Zealand. <laughs> then I have that voice that says, why is that person somewhere over there on the phone? Are they checking what they're doing on their public, hol uh, public holiday tomorrow? Are they checking with, uh, what they're going to get for food tonight? Or are they maybe taking notes? But who knows? And a voice that is saying to me, why is that person going to the bathroom again? They've already been three times. What are they doing? How much did they drink? Who are they secretly texting? All these things going on in my mind. You see, I believe that we all have a chorus of voices in our head. You see, there is one voice in our head, and we recognize it as followers of Christ. It's a voice that tells us that we are loved. We have a voice in our head that tells us we have hope. We have a voice in our head that is calling us to be all that God intends us to be. We have a voice in our head that is calling us into a full and abundant life. And when we step into a moment of fear, that voice speaks to us again and speaks peace and courage. And when we want to quit, this voice says, we haven't even started yet. I have so much for you. However, this voice also says that we have an enemy 
that is doing his very best to steal, kill, and rob. And when this voice speaks, it attempts to steal from us the full and free life that God has for us. It seeks to destroy anything that good that God has placed within us. He will do anything and everything to rob us of the abundant life that God has for us. And sadly, there are times when people, life, stuff comes our way to steal something from God, from us, I should say, that God has promised us and given us, and we just let it go, and we don't fight for us. There needs to be times and more and more of them, I believe, in each and every one of our life, that when people, life, circumstances come to steal from us something that va- of value that God has placed in our soul, that we say, that will not happen. I will not listen to that lie, and I will stand against it. That I'm going to stand against those words, those comments, those hurtful actions, and not let the peace and the power and presence of God be stolen from me by an enemy that is against me. Sometimes I think we roll over too easily. Sometimes when the enemy assails us, when he wishes to steal something from us, we have to say that that's not going to happen. I'm going to listen to a different voice. See, Jesus forewarns us that we have an enemy and that he will look to destroy us. This is his intention to rob us of an abundant life. And God has taught us and encouraged us to stand against it. You see, the enemy's primary strategy to steal the abundance of life that God has for us is lies. That is his main way of attack. In the most complete teaching that Jesus gives on the subject of the enemy or the devil himself, it is in John 8. And he says, and he tells us, that the enemy's primary strategy to ruin us as Christians is not disease, It is not disaster, it is not the demonic, it is lies. Although he uses those three things to hurt and assail us, the primary tactic the enemy uses to attack us is that he speaks lies into our heart and into our mind. It's his signature move, if we want to call it like that. So that's John 10. I want to develop this by going into John 8. Verses 31 to 38. And then, then Jesus, Jesus is speaking to the Jewish leaders of the day. And Jew, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Slight aside, that is the most dumb statement in the whole of the Word of God, especially in the New Testament. They're saying we have not been slaves to anyone. They spent 400 years in Egypt. This is how blind they have become and how deceived they have become. Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, yet you look for an opportunity to kill me because there is, a place, there is no place in you for my word. I declare what I have seen in the Father's presence. As for you, you should do what you have heard 
from the Father. In this text, Jesus is having a conversation with some of the Jewish leaders. And as always, there is, a huge, there is a, some really good confrontation. He is saying that the way to win in this life, in the here and now, to see the enemy defeated in our life is not through our smarts, how clever we are, or how spiritual we think we are, or just, just that there's anything at all about us. Jesus is saying, you know what I mean? It's listening to my voice, it's understanding the truth, and applying it to our life. Jesus is quite simply saying that the way to progress in 2023, in the culture that we face, the way to, present, to move forward as a church and as a community and as individuals is to hear the truth, the revealed word and his spoken word, and to apply it to our lives, and that's as simple as it gets. But it's not just simple because we have so many voices in our head telling us something different. Sometimes we overcomplicate following Jesus. Then it goes on to verses 39 to 41, and it's getting a little bit more rough here. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me. A man has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are indeed doing what your father does. Your father does. And he's making an implication that it's not God, but it's the enemy of God. They say to him, we are not illegitimate children. We have one father, God himself. You see, the New Testament is being very sanitized here and has cleaned up the language for our very, very gentle ears. For really, in reality, and in the cultural setting, and the language of what we read here, the Jewish leaders, by inference, inference, are saying, Jesus, you are a, and they're calling him out, and they're calling him by the B word. If you don't know what it is, I'll tell you at the end. But they're saying, <laughs> you accuse us, you are a, hey, we have a father. We know you're illegitimate. We know your heritage. You didn't have a father. So it's getting a little bit rough. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now I am here. I did not come on my own, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot accept my word. You are from your father, the devil and you choose to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is from God hears the word of God the reason you do not hear me is that you are not from God. This is quite a confrontation in the streets or wherever they're having it. And there's a, quite a confrontation going back and forth and it's not a nice, polite conversation. It is quite robust. You see, and Jesus is speaking these harsh words here and 
He's really trying to communicate to us three things. There are three things here that are precious to Jesus or mean a lot to Jesus, and he is communicating those to us today. The first thing for Jesus, the devil is real. And sometimes, I, you know, we know the theory of that, but sometimes we live our life as if we don't believe that the devil is real, that he doesn't really attack us personally and that he's out to get us. But the reality is that he is, that he is behind all evil in our society. Sometimes he gets called the accuser, Satan, the slanderer, the destroyer, the serpent. But for Jesus, Satan is not a cartoon character and not mythical and someone that we can just dismiss. He is invisible, but is a very real being behind all evil in society. Secondly, for Jesus, the devil is a murderer, and his end goal is to always wipe out and to rob us of the abundant life that God has for us. And thirdly, and as I said earlier, for Jesus, the devil's primary strategy is lies. It's not disease, disaster, or even the demonic, his primary strategy is lies. It means that when we step into a spiritual, an area or an arena of spiritual warfare, when we step into the classroom, when we step into our workplace, when we step into situations where there is warfare going on, firstly, it is a fight for truth over lies. The enemy attempts to get his voice into our heads so that his deceitful lies create disordered minds that have fear-filled hearts or worried-filled hearts or anxiety-filled hearts. See, the thing about the enemy's lies is that they're about, they're about 95% true. He is good at lying. He knows the best way that lies, the best way to sell us a lie. He knows that we are very unlikely to believe something that is incredibly crazy or outlandish. But he, is like, he knows that we are likely to believe something that sounds about 95% truth, as long as the 5% that is left is a lie. That is his strategy. So he knows, he knows that if he whispers to us this evening that Elvis Presley is still alive and well and lives in a flat in Hadley, he knows that we are not going to believe him. Well, I hope we're not going to believe him anyway. But if he whispers something like this, you know, God is incredibly forgiving and that he will forgive pretty much everything in your life. You know, but there is one thing that you did. There is that one thing. And that one thing is so bad that it is unlikely that he will ever forgive you. He doesn't go down the Elvis line. He goes down the 5% that is incorrect and the 10% that is incorrect. If Satan's native language is lies, then I believe it is accurate to say that lies about God are his specialist subject. A.W. Tozer said these words, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We'll come back to this later on, but if your first thought is that, man, he's a harsh God, why is that? If he's a God that's gonna punish you, why is that? 
if he's a God who's not really interested in you, why is that? And you can ask yourself all those questions and say, why is that? So we move to our third and final text. Genesis 3 is the story of the fall. And in this story, the devil, as we know, is personified in the form of a snake that speaks lies. And that is what we're going to focus on here. The background of this is set in chapter 2. And we have this wonderful world that God has created. And we see Adam and Eve living in paradise. They are free to eat whatever they want apart from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Everything else apart from the one tree. If they do, their relationship with God will be changed and they will experience death. This couple have millions and millions of options to eat from. This is not some small back section in your house or wherever you live. This is a massive area probably. We don't fully know, but we do know that there are four major rivers contained in this whole area. And there are millions and millions of options for them to eat from. They have just one tree to avoid. Then a snake comes and he whispers a lie into their minds and he twists the truth. Genesis 3 verses 1 to 4 to begin with. (coughs) Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you should not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Fascinating to quickly unpack these verses. Notice in verse 1, the snake is already starting to twist the truth about God. God had just said one tree couldn't be eaten, but the serpent doesn't say that. He just makes it so incredibly general. Seeds of doubt are being sown into Eve's mind, and he is trying to get through to her that perhaps God is a little bit stingy. That maybe He's a little bit more unreasonable than she originally thought. But did he do this? And then verses 2 and 3, here we see that something of the serpent said to her has started to land and has been absorbed by Eve because she has moved away. She has moved away from the focus that she has so much food to choose from, far more than she and her husband or family will ever need. And now she's starting to focus on what she can't have. This one that is prohibited. She has this massive area to choose from, but Satan has managed to shift her mind. You know, perhaps she's starting to think again. Perhaps God is stingy and miserable and jealous. And then in verses 4 and 5, and the snake is in full lying mode. He is now whispering to Eve that God has been lying to her, that God has been not lovingly protecting her, but actually he's been unfairly restricting her. So she now starts to listen to the wrong voice the voice that is in her head that is not of God. And then we get into verses 6 to 11. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was the delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave same, some to her husband who was with her. And of course, he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew 
that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? Verse 10, we read for the first time in history that fear enters the human heart because someone believed a lie about God and they believed that lie and treated it as truth. Fear entered because they didn't believe, or they did believe a lie about God that the enemy of our soul had sold them. In verse 11, God looks at Adam and Eve and says, whose voice have you been listening to you, listening to? That's not my voice. Who told you that you were naked? See, one of the most important questions we can ask tonight is, whose voice are we really listening to? Who told you that God is angry with you? Who told you that God can't forgive you? Who told you that God can be stingy and tight-fisted? Who told you that God doesn't really love you, but he has to because he's God and he's been stuck with you? Who told you that God is distant and doesn't care? Who told you that God is pedantic and nitpicking? Who told you that God isn't listening to you? Whose voice are we listening to? I genuinely believe that God wants us to experience a full and abundant life. That doesn't mean it's an easy life. It's not a trouble, no problem-free life. It is not necessarily a comfortable life, but nevertheless, it is a full life. But I also genuinely believe that it is possible to miss out on an abundant life if we listen to the wrong voices. And if this happens, anxiety, worry, and fear will drain us of our lives. I read recently, I can't remember where I read it, I should have, it's incredibly good. It says, what you give your attention to, you give authority to. What you give attention to in your life, you give authority to. In other words, if we are paying attention to the wrong voice, if we are listening to the voice of our friends, or family voices that are not good, or just people that have, we've allowed to have influence over our lives, we will give them authority to speak into our lives and they will drown out the voice of God. And then we get ourselves into a real area of difficulty. And if we pay too much attention to a certain voice, it'll probably trump out or drown out the voice of God. Whatever we listen to, we give authority. So as I begin to wrap this up, can I give you the following to take away with you? Something that I have used in my life, and I put this slide together for you to use with, with good friends or in your connect group. So, so over these next three weeks, we're gonna look at this. What are the lies that I believe about, and we're gonna look at in a couple of moments about God. Second one is, how do these lies create fear, anxiety, or worry in me? Thirdly, what is the counter truth? 
And fourthly, how does this truth lead me into abundant life? Can we put the next slide up, please? So the lies I believe about God is that God is stingy, tight, miserly, and ungenerous. How do these lies create fear, anxiety, or worry in me? We worry because I will not have enough. I will go short. I won't have enough to survive or get through in life. I can't be generous. I can't give as God wants me to give. That's how it knocks on. The knock-on is. What is the counter-truth? Well, the counter-truth is God is a generous father and a great provider. And lastly, I learn to trust and build a deeper relationship with God because I'm trusting in his provision. That we transform our minds through the power of the word of God, that we defeat lies that come our way, and we start to get calibrated and listening to the voice that we need to be listening to. Musicians, wherever you are, can you please come and join me? Will the rest of you stand with me, please? (coughs) One of the best ways to transform our minds, the best way to combat lies about God is to come into an understanding of what the Bible says about God. The best way to reject the lies we have about him in our head is to actually memorize, to recite, or search through the Bible and understand what it actually does say. Not what we think it says, not what my best mate thinks it says, but what the Bible actually says. That is why you will hear very often from the frontier of Gateway, please go home and read this and research it for yourself. Go home and read it and find out what the Bible actually says. Not take the latest podcast as the authority. So today, as we close, let me remind you of some of the truths. Today, some of us may need to know that in Psalm 103, it says that the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and he is abounding in steadfast love. Some of us might need to know tonight that it says in 1 John 1 that God is light and there is no darkness in the world. Some of you are here and you've not started your walk with him and you need to hear that it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world and that includes you that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Psalm 68, we need to be reminded of that. Praise to the Lord that God is our Savior who daily bears our burdens. Psalm 30 says these words, and maybe you need to hear this one. His anger lasts for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. You know, the one that really spoke to me, and it was just this week, as something probably I needed that I didn't realize I needed myself. You know, it says in Psalm 40 that he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms and he holds them close to his heart. Perhaps you need to hear that tonight. We combat the lies about God by accepting and understanding the truth about God. Maybe you're here and you need to hear that he is unchanging and that he is all-powerful and he knows absolutely everything and that he is omnipresent, that that means that there's no place that you can go that he's not even there. He is so great and so marvelous. Some of you perhaps need to hear that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he is your provider and that he is faithful and he will never, ever leave you. You take the, you take the truth from the word of God about God and you 
apply it to our lives and it transforms us in our mind and in our thinking. So I close with this. We transform our minds by casting out lies and by accepting and living in the truth. And we all know the truth will set us free. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.